Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Happy New Year to you. I hope the best of your past is the least of your future and that 2020 is a great year for you. Let's talk about Donald Trump. Let's talk about the killing of Soleimani. Let's talk about what's happening in the Middle East. This is likely to be perhaps the most important story of 2020, other than, of course, the presidential election, and we should understand it right up front. I want to say uh, as we start that the fact that Mr. Soleimani needed to be dealt with is unquestionable. He was without doubt a, a, a terrorist. He is a man who has cost many, many hundreds of American lives. Um, he is really the tip of the spear of radical Islam coming out of Iran. Uh, and he is a man who needed to be dealt with. He's an enemy. And if we're at war, if we're at war with international terrorism, then it was legitimate for us to deal with him. The issue is the way he was dealt with and the need of the Trump administration, Mr. Trump in particular, to spike the football and to take credit and to brag. So let's back up. Uh, the confusing aspect of Mr. Trump's foreign policy is that, as you recall, last year in October, uh, Mr. Trump got up one moment and basically changed sides in the issue of the Kurds in Syria and who we were supporting. He joined Mr. Erdogan almost, almost literally overnight decided that the Kurds in northern Syria could be driven out, should be driven out, that Mr. Erdogan's long-term plan should be approved. Erdogan wanted to put displaced Arabs into that northern security area along his southern border, the northern border of Syria, and thus to drive Kurds out in the process. So he withdrew American troops. The Kurds, the Turks moved into the area, began to slaughter Kurds and, of course, drive them as refugees into the KRG region, the Kurdish region of northern Iraq, called the Kurdish Regional Government. You remember that I was fierce about this on, on in, our, in this podcast. I think Mr. Trump, uh, not understanding Middle East affairs, made a horrible decision. It has cost lives. It has cost us American prestige. It was a denial of honor. And you may recall that I had actually been on the ground in the KRG in Erbil while this was going on. So I ended up doing hours of Kurdish television, apologizing, explaining, explaining that this wasn't the American people. This isn't the majority of Congress that most people in dis, uh, in D.C. would disagree with him, etc. And um, and I have written and spoken out loudly against what Mr. Trump did. The confusion is that that deed, that act, that joining Mr. Erdogan, that switching sides and allowing the Kurds to be driven out of northern Syria, essentially emboldened Iran and created a power vacuum. Again, no, no U.S. troops on the ground, theoretically. Empowered Iran and empowered Russia. Mr. Trump seemed to be fine with that. In fact, he actually tweeted at the time, hope everything goes well. We're 7,000 miles away. It was like a taunt. And so here we were, yes, 7,000 miles away, but he had created a power vacuum, which Iran seemed intent upon filling. So you almost wondered, some people wondered aloud whether there was some kind of backroom deal, some kind of hidden deal that allowed Iran to move into the area with Turkey, the U.S. to withdraw, and perhaps there were some kind of concessions we were getting from Iran. 
Well, the confusing thing is then that suddenly we would get up here a week or so ago and suddenly decide to attack the very visible, very respected, at least in Iran, um, Qasem Soleimani, um, who had recently, by the way, as I said on this podcast, had been conducting the opposition riots in Baghdad that we've heard so much about. He had been uh, conducting the opposition to it. He had been guiding the government, as I've said many times, and you know from reading many sources, what's going on in Iraq is that there is basically a Shia Iranian takeover. Uh, the prime minister is Shia. Um, increasingly, the, the, the centers of power are controlled by Shiites. Um, and Iran is basically moving in to take over Iraq. That is, in fact, what's going on. So Suleimani was there in the green zone in Baghdad, even while I was there, by the way, not in Baghdad, but up in Erbil. And uh, he was basically running the country. That's essentially what he was doing. Uh, here's a man who basically can be understood in American terms as the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the senior military official of the country. Uh, and the fact is that he was there conducting the entire country uh, of Iraq. Okay, so all that to say, suddenly, suddenly, Mr. Trump tells us that there was some intelligence, that there was about to be some attack on an American installation or that American lives were in trouble. So we send in two drones. I, by the way, believe in drone warfare. I believe it's humanitarian. I believe it saves lives, and I'm grateful for it. I know that's not a popular opinion in some cases, but that is what I believe. And what I, uh, what we have heard then is that two drones were sent into uh, Iraq, fired into Iraq, uh, and they took out Mr. Suleimani at the Baghdad airport. Now, I've been saying semi-humorously that we basically killed this guy in the duty-free shop of the Baghdad airport. Um, this is no small thing. The Baghdad airport is a, is, a, is a regular airport. It's a civilian facility. You can fly a plane in there. You can fly uh, Western commercial lines into the Baghdad airport. And we killed this man on that property uh, strategically and surgically, as we are gifted at doing. Um, but we killed him. And did, then, of course, uh, the president took responsibility for it spiked the football, danced around in the end zone, said it had to happen, um, spoke as he often does, as though he himself went and did this. And my, my concern here, of course, is that now we have um, really inflamed a lot of people we did not have to inflame. Um, I don't want to speak as a military expert, but, but let me just tell you that it's very possible for American special forces to kill somebody strategically, some enemy strategically, and not have it ever be known that we did it, not have it be done in a public place, have it be in question as to who did it and even how it was done. It's very common practice for special forces to parachute in. Uh, to a region, lay in the weeds for a while, take somebody out and then be extracted. Nobody ever even knows they were there. They don't know who did it. Was this malicious fighting? Was this his own guards taking him out because they got turned? You leave question. You try not to let Israel be blamed because that can almost always end up in some kind of uh, horrible assault on Israel. But you definitely question as to who did it. We didn't do it that way. We did it. We claimed credit for it. We danced around in the end zone. Donald Trump is still dancing around in the end zone. And the, the issue is now, you've seen the size of the demonstrations, the marches, the funeral in Baghdad. 
um, we have essentially inflamed anew, certainly the Shiite portion of the Middle East uh, and the world probably, and maybe beyond that, because of course there are those who have no love for the Shiites, but nevertheless hate that America would assassinate an official at this level. So, as you know, Iran is promising uh, some kind of counter move, and the whole world is tense. Military facilities all over the world, American military facilities, are on extreme security measures, etc., etc., etc. The issue for me is not that Mr. Soleimani didn't need to be dealt with. He needed to be dealt with, and he needed to be dealt with a long time ago, if indeed we're going to fight a serious war against terror, if indeed we're going to take a stand against Iran. The issue for me is that we did it so publicly. We did it taking such responsibility for it. We have done it without even, in some cases, giving a rationale to the world for why we did it. Mr. Trump has very little respect for world opinion, but world opinion is what builds allies. It's what causes coalitions to come into being. It's it's what builds a unified front against um, those who propagate terrorism in the world. So I want to say again, the confusion here is the difference between what happened last October and what happened here over the holidays. Mr. Trump decided, again, during the holidays, uh, to kill the most prominent prominent military leader in Iran and to do it publicly. So now we are in a low-grade war. Iran is not the kind of country that declares open wars and sends, you know, battalions across battlefields, that's not likely to happen. Um, But they are very adept at guerrilla warfare. They are very adept at terror. And they have one of the most extensive terror networks in the world. So we have, I believe, unnecessarily inflamed um, passions and brought expensive security measures upon us. And by the way, let me just remind us, and and I I think some of you are going to conclude that I'm just hammering Donald Trump. I'm actually not. What I'm calling for is a sane policy. The real mystery is that when Mr. Trump last October pulled U.S. troops out, it was only about 1,500 troops. In fact, I've been told it was less than that, but the official number was 1,500 troops. So we pulled 1,500 troops, betrayed the Kurds, allowed Erdogan to pour across the border, drove Kurds into the KRG region, just created a mess, and by the way, lost a lot of American prestige. You remember that in Jerusalem, there was an op-ed, the title of which was, Are We Next? Meaning, if America is abandoning its allies, are we next? Well, it's a legitimate question. So all of that happened, and the stated reason was that Mr. Trump wanted to pull our troops home and not be involved in endless wars. So we pulled home 1,500 troops. Now we kill Mr. Suleimani, and immediately we've now sent between four and 5,000 troops in. By the way, whenever you see troop movements like that, there are always many more. Not that anybody's lying to us, but the support staff, the other people that are necessary to make uh, an installation for four or 5,000 troops necessary, it's always more than what you're being told. Uh, again, not because anybody's being deceptive, but because the military, the, the president is reporting actual troops, but support is a whole different thing. So now we've put four or 5,000 troops into the region when the whole rationale for betraying the Kurds was to withdraw 1,500 troops. You see where I'm coming from. Once again, in this podcast and in my thinking, I find myself... Uh, 
in a moderate position. Of course, Mr. Suleimani needed to be dealt with. But this way, in this manner, with these results, and just a few months after we pulled 1,500 troops out as though that was the most valuable thing on the planet, and now, without even much provocation, we've sent five, four, or 5,000 troops back into the region. We're ramping up again. I'm looking for some consistency. I'm looking for an actual policy rather than a person with impulse control difficulties tweeting out uh, policies or not even policies, uh, you know, daily impulses. I'm looking for something consistent. Now, I've been told by a U.S. senator that there was good intelligence that Soleimani was um, heading uh, a serious assault on American lives. And I believe this senator, so I, I have no problem accepting that that's true. However, the issue is, does killing Soleimani stop that, that plan, that attack from happening? If the U.S. is planning to deal with some foreign country, and let's say suddenly the chairman of the Joint Chiefs or the Secretary of State is killed, does that stop that policy from going forward? Does that stop that assault? Does that, that, that stop that strategy? No, it probably enhances it. So I'm not sure we stopped anything. We have inflamed the region by certainly not only doing the deed so publicly, but then dancing around in the end zone. And we've absolutely undermined our reason for ever betraying the Kurds because now we're pumping lives, soldiers, airmen, Marines, back in to the region. So what's my point in all this? I'm crying out for a policy. Those of you in Congress, those of you on the Ford Affairs Committees, those of you who are deal in foreign policy at the State Department, who listen to this podcast, thank you for putting up with me. Um, thank you for hearing me out. But what we need is a policy. We don't need tweet wars. We don't need lives lost because somebody has impulse control on uh, problems on Twitter. And we have a very inconsistent policy and, and, a, and a, an action that needed to happen at some point, but didn't need to happen this way. And now we have got at least a low-grade war, if not an, a, a massive enhancement of global terrorism. So people are asking me, what do I believe about this? This is it. Needed to happen, but the way it happened is going to cause us problems for years. If Mr. Trump should win the presidency in the fall, he will spend his entire second term dealing with an enraged Iran. And we are not going to fly over there and bomb Iran into a parking lot, as some have said on the air of late. That's not going to happen. Remember, by the way, one of the things I've said on this podcast, which is you have a bunch of angry, older Islamic men running is Iran, but the average age in Iran is about 24 years old. And so there's a new, younger generation. They're often taking to the streets. They want good relationships with the West. They're not as narrowly Islamic. Uh, they're not as extremist, and they, they, they're looking for a democratic country. We should be building connections to that younger tribe, trying to remove these older men, and not inflaming the entire country by our policies. There's a wiser way to go. At the same time, let me say it one more time so that those of you who think I'm attacking Trump will know otherwise, Mr. Soleimani needed to go. 
He was a huge problem. He's the tip of the spear in taking and the Shiite takeover of Iraq and the Iranian takeover of Iraq. And we would have to deal with him one way or another anyway. But to do it this way has bought trouble for years to come. More on this soon. Thanks for being with me. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times bestselling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.